0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I've got another great show lined up for you today. The World Series matchup is set. We are going to talk about that today. We are also going to take a look at how the New York Yankees, who fell short of the World Series for another year, are going to take what they did this season, build on it, and try and get back to the World Series next season with Mike Demurgis. Show me the money. Also back for week number eight. Those picks are coming your way later in the show. Be sure to stay locked in until the end of the show for today's two-minute drill. Where I offer my take on the disaster that has become the New York Mets search for a new general manager. We get it all rolling with this week's opening tip. Where I take a look at some of the big headlines from the latest Sunday in the National Football League. Right after this. Dane Johnson, Marcus May, and Buster Screen all out in the secondary, they're looking for the big one. And it is a touchdown to who else but Adam Thielen. Welcome back to this week's opening tip. There was a lot going on in the NFL in week number seven. Let's dive right into it. Let's start with the New York Jets, my football team. They were banged up playing a very good Viking team, and look, Nobody expected them to win this game. Let's be real. Nobody expected them to win this game. I didn't expect them to win this game. I picked against them this week. That being said, what I saw on Sunday was extremely disappointing out of the Jets. Sam Darnold had a rough day. Four turnovers. Granted, two of them were probably not his fault. He should not have been credited for that fumble in the third quarter. That should have been on either the center, Spencer Long, or Isaiah Crowell if not taking the handoff. And one of the picks was off his receiver's hands, but... There were a lot of things wrong with that game. The Vikings let the Jets stay in that game for a long time, and the Jets just could not take advantage of it. I mean, the Jets did themselves no favors with the same old stuff we've been saying for years now with this team. Dumb penalties, constantly short-circuiting drives, drops. They had two of them in the third quarter on a big drive. Isaiah Crowell dropped one on first down. Eric Tomlins has the big drop on third and 12. He would have had a first down easily. Instead of having a chance to drive for a touchdown and bring it to within, I think, three points, they had to sell it for a 55-yard field goal in the wind from Jason Myers. Granted, Myers makes the kick, but that's not something you should have to do. The turnovers are killer, but this team just again and again and again makes the same stupid mistakes and plays undisciplined football, and it drives me crazy. I'll give you a perfect example. Later in that game, the Vikings were up 10 they had the ball. Kirk Cousins throws a backwards pass to Stefan Diggs. Darren Lee break, like breaks the play up. He's starting dancing on the field. He doesn't realize that the ball is live. Diggs falls on it. They keep the, the Vikings keep the ball. If the Jets get that there, and they're, they were, Vikings are pretty deep in their own territory at that point. Let me remind you, if the Jets get the ball there. That game could change. But instead, because Lee is too busy trying to hot dog it, they lose that chance. Stuff like that happens all the time with this team. Look at the effort that Dow Roberts gave to try and tackle uh, Latavius Murray on that touchdown run. Dow Roberts really just threw a shoulder at Murray's knee. That's not good tackling form. I mean, come on now. Put a little effort into this game. The Jets coaching staff also is not doing much to help their team, especially Darnold. Darnold, yesterday, in the wind, against a good Viking defense, had to throw the ball 42 times. That's not a recipe for success. And I don't want to hear about the score being out of whack. In the third quarter, when this game was close, the Jets at one point had a 21-14 to pass-to-run ratio. 21-14 to 14 in terms of passes. You cannot do that to a young quarterback against a good team, especially when he has no weapons. I want to give credit to uh, Will Schneiderhan. He was on the podcast back in week one, did the picks. He's a contributor to the Jet Press. He made a great point on Twitter yesterday. What were the Jets doing not replacing Terrell Pryor? Yes, they cut Terrell Pryor because of the groin injury. He's not going to play. They didn't bother bringing in a receiver to replace him. They brought up a kid from the practice squad who played with uh, Darnold at USC. So going to, the rece- going to that game yesterday, the receiving core was Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse, Andre Roberts, who plays special teams, Sharon Peake, who also plays special teams, and the kid Burnett. That's horrendous for a young quarterback. He needs weapons to grow and get better. You cannot do that to a kid like Darnold. You want him to build and throw into a young, a talented young star? You can't do that to him. You got to give him a chance. That's a terrible job. Jets are now 3-4. and four. They're going on to Chicago next week where they take on the Bears. The Bears played a wild game with the Patriots this week. Ended up losing 38-31. Actually had a chance to win this game at the end there. They, had, they nearly hit the Hail Mary play. Kevin White caught the ball at the one-yard line, but Patriots a typically disciplined football team, had three guys right there to make the tackle, and they did not get in the end zone. The Bears, they lost this game on special teams. They gave up 14 points on special teams. Cordell Patterson ran a kickback for a touchdown. Patriots also blocked a punt. Kyle Van Noy ran into the end zone for, for a touchdown. The Bears handed the Patriots 14 points. You cannot do that against this football team and expect to win the game. They're simply too good. The Bears, while talented clearly a year early and don't look now the Patriots the team that everybody wanted to write off again when they were 2-2 they're 5-2 they're a game back of the Chiefs for home field in the AFC and they have the tiebreaker tell me this is not going to end up with the Patriots with a 13-3 record in home field in in the playoffs it's gonna you know it is speaking of those Chiefs they blew the Bengals out in Sunday Night Football that was a I watched some of that game. The Chiefs' speed, it's incredible. They just fly all over the field. Tyreek Hill is like a human joystick. Kareem Hunt, one play in the first quarter, looked like he was tackled, and all of a sudden he spins out of the tackle and hurls a guy and gets to the freaking three-yard line. It's incredible. That team is just so tough to stop. Patrick Mahomes, great player. Over his first eight games going back to last year, he's thrown 22 touchdown passes. That's the most to start a career. Kurt Warner had 21 in his first eight games in 99. Pat Mahomes Holmes has broken that. Now, I'm going to be curious to see what Andy Reid does with this team in the playoffs. He has had a bad track record in there with two bad playoff losses at home the last two years. We'll see if that can change. Also of note here, the Cincinnati Bengals in primetime, one of the easiest bets is to bet against the Bengals. Under Marvin Lewis, the Bengals are now 10-24 and 24 under primetime games. Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night. on Sunday Night Football. Andy Dalton and company turn into pumpkins when the lights go out. Do not take the Bengals in a primetime game ever. The Bengals somehow still on top of the AFC North, thanks to a weird end to that Saints-Ravens game in Baltimore. The Saints had a good effort, down 10 in the fourth quarter, came back, scored 17 unanswered, take the lead late. But Joe Flacco, to his credit, drives the Ravens down the field, hits John Brown for the touchdown, bring him within one. Then on comes Justin Tucker who I love Justin Tucker. I think he's the best kicker in this league. The guy just does not miss. What happens yesterday? He missed the extra point and the Ravens lose. He had made 245 straight point afters before missing on Sunday. That goes back to the start of his NFL career. He also had not missed a kick, a PAT in college. Or in high school, I think back to like 8th grade, he hadn't missed a PAT. That's incredibly consistent. Tough break for the Ravens. Tucker's going to have better days, but they lost the game. They're 4-3, and and now both those teams are only a half game up on the Steelers. Before you know it, the Steelers will be right there, coming back, going into the playoffs. Let's go on another big comeback yesterday. Let's go to the City of Brotherly Love. Philadelphia Eagles held a 17-0 lead in the 4th quarter against Carolina. I was feeling good about this. I had the Philly defense in fantasy. They were doing great for me. And then all of a sudden, everything falls apart. They were up 17 with 11 to go, and they blew the game. Cam Newton led scoring drives of 80, 87 and 69 yards to bring the Panthers back and take the lead. That was incredible to watch, and the hangover is back for the Eagles. Last week, clearly a result of playing a terrible New York Giant football team. Eagles are now three and four. They're behind in the division again, and they have a lot of work to do. They go to London next week. They take on the Jacksonville Jaguars in a battle of two very disappointing football teams. Speaking of the Jaguars, we have a quarterback controversy. Jacksonville Jaguars lose 20 to seven at home to the Houston Texans. Blake Bortles gets yanked in the second half of the contest. Now, I want to give this credit to this stat for Peter King, Football Morning America column. I think it's a great column. You guys gotta listen, gotta read it if you have a chance. Over his last three games, which the Jaguars have lost all three, the Jaguars have run thirty possessions with Blake Bortles. He's completed fifty five percent of his passes, led them to touchdowns just three times, eight turnovers, five picks, three lost fumbles, two of which came yesterday. The Texans got ten points off those turnovers. That's killer for a team that cannot score points. Now, the Jaguars, I feel bad for Bortles. Bortles does not have these full complement of weapons. He lost Marquise Lee to a year-ending injury early in the year. Austin Savarian Jenkins got hurt. That's not helping. He also hasn't had Leonard Fournette, and without Fournette, their offense is not the same. I don't care about good Yeldon plays. I don't care if they got Carlos Hyde. Fournette makes that team go, and without him, they are not the same offense. I feel like there's a lot of similarities between Bortles now and what Mark Sanchez was for the Jets in the late 2000s. Everybody forgets that in the 2009-2010 seasons when the Jets went to the AFC Championship game, Sanchez was a decent quarterback. He had a talented team around him. He had a good offensive line, had a running game, had some playmakers outside, and a good defense. He nearly got the Jets to the Super Bowl twice. Now, what happened after that? The team around him eroded. Sanchez lost his weapons. He couldn't, was never the same player after that. Bortles could be going down that path. That's something that the Jaguars have to be very careful how they handle this. They don't have a great option in-house. Cody Kessler came in yesterday and was mediocre. And I don't know if they're going to trade for one before the deadline, but they need to figure something out. The division is still winnable, but they're running out of time. As far as the Texans go, good job on their part. They won four in a row after the slow start to the season. They are now in first place in the AFC South at four and three. But I still have big concerns about Deshaun Watson. We learned yesterday before the game that the Texans sent Deshaun Watson to Jacksonville by bus. He took a 13 and a half hour bus ride from Houston to Jacksonville because they were concerned whether or not he could handle flying with his rib and chest issues. They were at the air pressure of the flight, would give, would cause him severe pain. That's a big problem. He's that brittle. They do not know what to do here. It's a big problem. He's been getting killed this year because his line is bad. He likes to run outside the pocket and he likes to extend plays, but he gets hit very hard. He's dealing with a lot of injuries. They have not had their bye yet. They play a short week Thursday at home, which will be fine for him because he'll be back on he took the bus back. Should be there today. Should be all right, but they have issues. They gotta keep him on the field. They hope to win this division. All right, quick hits on two other games. Let's go to the Titans and Chargers in London. Titans have a great comeback in this game. Come down this come down the stretch late in the fourth quarter. Score a touchdown on fourth and goal. Bring within one. Coach Mike Vrabel decides to go for two. They missed not one, but two chances at the two. Lose the game. Lose Phil Lombardo, his pick last week. He took the Chargers minus six and a half. Once, the top, once they send the, two, the uh, offense on the field for the two-point conversion, I actually texted him and said, Sorry, buddy, you lost the pick. That's what happened. Now, I'm with Rabel here. I think going for a two is 100% the correct call. They had the Chargers on the ropes. The Chargers have been on the field the entire second half. They've been running the ball down their throats. Why not go for the kill there and try and win the game right there? I love that idea. What I did not love was the play calling. They have two good running backs, Hennessy. They have Deion Lewis, who ripped off a 60-yard run earlier in the drive. And they have big Derrick Henry, who's a big threat down near the goal line. They also have Marcus Mariota, quarterback, who can scramble and extend plays. They didn't use any of them to run. They called a low-percentage pass on the first two-point try. Got a break because of a penalty. Then ran an even lower percentage play on the second drive. Market Mario had to throw it out of the back of the end zone. You were a yard away from the end zone. Run the ball. You're a running team. Run the football. I hate when these teams get way too cute around the goal line. There is a place in the sport for smash-mouth football where you just line up and run it in. That's the spot. It's not the spot to go five wide and try and create. Last game I want to touch on Cowboys, Redskins. Cowboys played pretty well. Blake, like Dak Prescott played pretty well. Found a way to lose the game. Can you believe the Redskins are 4-2? The Redskins are leading this division. They've had a couple of really bad losses. Some really good wins. I have no idea what to make of this team. Let's go to the Cowboys for a second. The Cowboys had big, big issues. The fumble in the end zone from Prescott was bad. That cost them 7 points they really needed. The play calling on the final drive was very questionable. They had a chance after the after a big catch by Cole Beasley that gets gets confirmed by replay. The Cowboys kind of had a timeout in their pocket. They had a chance to to run a pass route and get about five, eight yards closer. Said they run a draw, gain two, set up for a 47-yard field goal. Then they get the killer penalty where the center gets called for a snap infraction. That call backs them up five yards. They missed the kick. They doinks off the upright from Brett Maher, and the Cowboys lose. That's just awful. You cannot lose a game that way, especially with the division lead on the line. And what happens? The Cowboys overreact to it. Earlier today, I'm recording this on Monday, they complete a trade with the Oakland Raiders, get up their first-round pick to get wide-out Amari Cooper. Now, you might say this makes sense to the Cowboys, who are out receiving core featuring Alan Hearns, Cole Beasley, Michael Gallup, Tavon Austin, and Bryce Butler. Cooper is an upgrade over those guys for sure. But he is a very inconsistent player. He was awful for the Raiders last year. This year he's been non-existent. And they gave up a number one pick for him. Number one picks don't grow on trees. There are a lot of good players that Cowboys could use to help this team next year. Instead, they're banking on Amari Cooper... And their tracker of trading for receivers in season is not good. Look what happened with Roy Williams when they get up a boatload of picks for him and he turned out to be a bust. This trade is slightly there, and that's only one first round pick. But I don't buy Cooper. I think it's a bad choice for the Cowboys. We'll see if a change theory helps him, but I'm very skeptical. And again, what is Oakland doing? John Gruden is clueless out there. First he trades off Khalil Mack, one of the best pass rushers in the league for two first round picks. Then he dumps his most talented wide receiver, Amari Cooper, who admittedly is a head case for a first round pick. You need talent to win in this league. Trading talented players for first round picks does not work. You are not guaranteed success. The Raiders' track record of drafting in the first round outside of Mack and Cooper is bad the last decade. You tell me Gruden can find the players himself? We'll see. I don't know. I don't trust Gruden. And he's getting paid $90 million in the next nine years, so he's not going anywhere anytime soon. All right, let's shift gears. We're going to go to the Diamond for a little bit. We're going to talk some Yankee baseball with Mike Demurgis. How are the Yankees going to rebuild their team? They surprisingly have a lot of questions for a 100-win team. All of that coming up right after this.
1: And he rips out one. Fair ball. One run is in. Vasquez right behind him is Bradley, and Betts right behind him. A three-RBI double. Andrew Benintendi. Seven to nothing, Boston.
0: All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Time to talk a little baseball. The World Series starts this week, starts on Tuesday, but we're going to talk a little New York Yankee baseball first with the guy who I spoke to at the beginning of the NFL season. Now he's talking baseball. Welcome back to the podcast, Mike Demurgis.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. But, you know, the Yankees aren't in the World Series, so well, you know, we're, we're, I don't got much to say.
0: Yeah, they're not there. But before we get into the Yankees, can you tell me and tell my listeners that your background covering baseball?
2: Sure. I was the uh, morning show producer for Sirius XM Radio for five years. I uh, worked at the FAN as well for a year, worked up at the FAN 590 up in Toronto for five years, covered a lot of Blue Jay games, covered during my time at XM every World Series, playoffs, all-star game um, during my five years over at Series there. So I've covered, them all, I've covered them all and forgot about a lot of them already. So.
0: Yeah, that's more than I can say. I haven't been around to see a lot of them.
2: No, it's, when you're around the teams, you really get a sense of, of the players and, and what they're like, so you get that added advantage. That's why it's always great to talk to the, the players or the writers that cover the game because you really get that inside advantage that you need to get. If You're not going to get that same feel if you're inside a studio.
0: Absolutely. So let's, let's go to the Yankees. Like, what were your overall thoughts on their 2018 season? Obviously, they win 100 games and have a disappointing game where they're out in the first round.
2: Yeah, it was very disappointing. I, I mean, it's hard to to uh, kind of put a black mark on a team that won 100 games, but when you tie the Red Sox up 1-1 in the division series and you're heading home and you get shut down the way you do, something's wrong. I didn't like the Yankees going to the season, and I've, I've said it and I'll say it again. I, I didn't like the acquisition on Giancarlo Stanton. They didn't need another big-handed right-hander with a hole and a swing. They already have that in Sanchez. They already have that in Aaron Judge. Christian Yelich would have been the right guy and a lot of talk has been about that over the last few weeks about wanting cash and trying to make a move for Christian Yelich. Uh, the too many players are too much the same. Wasn't crazy about the fielding as well at the corners or great, you know, Greg Bird. I call Nick Johnson. He's, he's been a disappointment health wise and Andrew Horst fielding has, has come up sub, subpar and also the talk, you know, at the beginning of the year about, you know, what kind of Improvement would Gary Sanchez make? Well, he hasn't made an improvement; he's regressed. And you have the whole issue of the starting pitching because coming into the season, you know, you, you have players, you know, pitchers that are going to be leaving at the end of this year. And is Severino really the ace of the staff? He's, he's proving that he's really not an ace pitcher.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of interesting points there. Let's start with Gary Sanchez. He had a really rough year. He hit just a buck eighty-six in eighty-nine games, and a lot of defensive issues. I see a lot of Yankee fans who want to dump him and want to move on from him. Do you think they should try and do that and go with Romain, or should they keep Gary Sanchez? Uh, I don't
2: know. I don't know what they can get for him right now. I think the ideal time for me would have been to trade him maybe in May or something like that. Kind of way the Gi- Giants are stuck with Odell Beckham now. I think it would have been smart to trade him before the season started this year, and and not once the season starts. So, uh, what are they going to get for him now? Um, the guy that hit one eighty six has shown at times he's not all that into it, doesn't run, plays out. You know, you're going to need a team that's willing to take that chance on him, and I don't know what you can get for him right now. Uh, keeping him behind the plate, to me, is a non-option. They need to either do something with him, either make him the full-time DH or see if he can play first base.
0: Yeah, I think it's, he actually would have a market. It's because of how bad the catching position is in baseball, because, I mean, look at the Mets. The Mets have been trying for years to find a catcher, and they haven't had one. I think if Gary went on the markets, they think that we'll get something for him.
2: Well, I, you know, how long would he last? You got the two aces playing in, in Queens there. You've got Noah Syndergaard, and you and you've got, of course, the, the, the wizard himself. You know what I'm saying, Jacob Degrom. And can you imagine the frustration they would have with Gary Sanchez when you got you know masterful artists like that? He, he can't go to the National League. He's got to stay in the American League, and he's really got to be almost a full-time DH or, like I said, try him at first place because catching is not his future.
0: Yeah. So you brought up first base. Where do you think they're going there next year? I mean, they still have Bird around who's been mm-hmm. shown flashes of injury-prone. Luke Voigt had the amazing finish, but we don't know if he can keep it up. Do you think they stay in-house, or do you think they try and bring someone in?
2: You, you, know, that's the, you know, how much longer are you going to give Greg Bird a chance? And, and Luke Voigt you know, did a great job, but you know, was it a mirage? It's That's an interesting dilemma they have. I, I don't know where they go, because a lot has to do to also, what are they going to do with third base? You know, a guy in, in Miguel Andujar, they're going to be pulling in the sixth inning they don't have faith of him at third base, do you maybe try him at first base? Even uh, it's a question that I don't think we're going to answer. I think is they're going to stay put in in that that area. I think they're either going to give Bird and and void a chance to win it, but I'm not confident in them either at that position.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to probably stay put there. I feel they have other areas they're going to address. Specifically, they have a big hole at shortstop now because Dee D. Dee <laughs> went underwent Tommy John surgery and. Met fans know from watching T.J. Rivera deal that He was supposed to be out for half the year. He missed the whole year. What do you think they're going to do to try and fill in for Didi?
2: Well, that's, that's another question they have. You know, all these questions for a team that won 100 games. You know, do they take a chance at Machado? Do they move, you know, Torres to, to shortstop and try and, you know, figure something out there? That's something they got to figure out. I don't think Machado's the kind of guy that you want in this clubhouse. They're, you know, bringing Stanton in, and then you bring Machado and you're getting so far away from the team that went within one one game of the World Series last year. You're really changing the identity of the team. I would you know, as, as a fan, I wouldn't want to root for a guy like Machado with with his antics not hustling. He's he's not a class guy. To me, he would be poison to the locker room. And for for Didi, you know, he you know, you might have seen some of his last at bats in a Yankee uniform because he's going to be a free agent next year. So uh, you know this could be the end you know do they maybe trade for him make it make a deal because they, they, they can't go they can't wait until August to fill this the shortstop role
0: I, I think one thing I, I, I'm glad you brought up the idea of moving Glaber as shortstop they could do that and try and sign a second baseman, because there are some decent options out there in free agency this year you got Dozier coming off the uh, off of his deal you got Shope, I think I'm not sure about him but Murphy also the free agent I think Daniel Murphy and Yankee Stan be a great fit.
2: Yeah, I, I Murphy, you know, I was thinking about that. I, I love Murphy's back in Santa for years. Would love to have it at Yankee Stadium. To me, Murphy's perfect fit, put him at first base. I think he would be, because he, you know, Murphy doesn't have much range, not a great, you know, fielding second baseman. I think if you sign Murphy, you're telling me, okay, we're going to put him at second, and then when DeeDee Dee comes back, we'll, we'll swing Murphy over to first base I think that could be a possibility right there. Murphy's bat in Yankee Stadium—that's that, exactly what they need.
0: Yeah, he's nice because also he's a big average hitter, and they have a lot of guys in that lineup who strike out way too much.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's too right-handed heavy, and and the strikeouts are ridiculous. They can't play small ball. You got to put the the ball in play in the postseason. You got to force the pressure's on the other team when the ball's in play, and because the light is so intense in the playoffs, you know teams are going to make a mistake, and, and they and they got to get someone that could put the ball and play in that lineup.
0: Oh, for sure. A lot of the speculation with them this winter is based on the fact that they finally got under the luxury tax. Everybody's doing they're going to go get either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado or both. Do you think either one of them ends up in the Bronx?
2: No, neither. I, I, I don't think you know, Harper's going to come in way, way too much money. Um, and you, we've seen the tail off in, in Harper's stats as well. Over the last year, um, and I, again, I don't think Manny's the, the kind of fit that you know th- this team really needs. I think they'll make some deals. You know, I, I like the idea of a Daniel Murphy, and, and there's other there's other moves to be out there to be made. I, I don't think you'll see either uh, either of them in a Yankee uniform. The only way, the only way that I can see the Yankees doing a radical kind of move like that is if the Red Sox do a radical move, and that might force their hand a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's try to keep up with the arms race?
2: Well, I'll keep up with the arms race and just, you know, if the Red Sox have won 108 games in, you know, within four games of the World Series right now. You know, t- the times have turned. The Yankees don't have the Red Sox number like it used to be. You know, when the Yankees were playing the Red Sox in 1999 in the, in the, in the playoffs, Derek Jeter and Yogi Berra were talking, and Jeter told Yogi, you know, I'm nervous. He goes, what, what are you nervous for before we've been beating this team for 80 years? Well, that's not the case anymore. The Red Sox have the upper hand. The Red Sox are the better team. And, they, and and to me, Brian Cashman, um, you know, really, really took too long to start to develop the farm system. And in the last couple of moves, he let Yelich get away. He let Verlander get away. Uh, it have not been the right moves, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, I think the – I think Machado is probably not coming here. I, I think the Phillies make sense for him. I feel they've been talked about with him for years. But I think Harper actually does fit the lineup in terms of like just his lefty power, which they don't really have. But then again, you have to wonder, like – He's been a part of a lot of losing in Washington, and you have to wonder if he's part of the problem.
2: Well, and how much are you going to pay him though? You, you pay a guy 40, $400 dollars. Yeah, probably four hundred million dollars. And 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 how's that improving the pitching staff? How many world tie? He's got some of the best pitchers in the game. Okay, in in DC, the best pitchers in the game. How many rings does he have? None, none. Thank you. He's got he's got he's got zero more than me and you. So. Yeah. I think unless you bring some, bring some pitchers in here, unless some of these kids that they have in the farm system are, are going to develop, um, you know, I, I don't think Harper's the answer. And if you look at the minor leagues for the Yankees, 11 of their top 13 prospects are all pitchers. So some of them have got to hit. If you could get two of them to hit, that would be great.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Before we get to the pitching, one last position that's intriguing me is left field. Because they've had Brett Gardner out there. I think he's the longest-tenured player on this team. He's a free agent. Do they, do they bring him back? Do they bring Ellsbury no. out there? No. Do you think they just no. stick no. still? No, no, no. no, 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 no. I, I, th- I
2: think Frazier, if he's healthy. If not, you got to move on from Guardy. I mean, Ellsbury, really. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he's turning into Jason Bay. He's, he, he's turning into to what Jason Bay was to the Mets. I mean, this guy is, is just – you talk about a bust. You talk about wasting money. This is one of Cashman's worst signings. This is an albatross around the team.
0: Oh, I'm sure he, he rarely missed that as a bad signing.
2: Yeah, it's, how could you not? The, number, the numbers <laughs> speak for himself. He didn't take the field at all this year. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's you know he's had some bad signings over the years, Cashman, and this is probably the worst. Cashman's really missed on pitchers if you go back over the years. You look at Jeff Weaver, 2003. You look at uh, guys he brought in like Javier Vazquez, Carl Pavano, yep. guys that can come through. And the latest, hey, Sonny Gray, hey, Ed Cashman, I'll give him the credit. He admits we'll, you know, we'll, we'll look to move him. You know, this guy's turned into Ed Whitson. Yeah. He can't handle the pressure of New York.
0: Yeah, that rotation is a mystery to me just because, like, I mean, apart from Severino and, and uh, Tanaka, I don't know who's going to be in it next year. Like, what do you think they're going to do?
2: Well, they're going to have to try, you know, hopefully one of the kids comes up with Justice, and Justice Sheffield going to be ready. Uh, you know, they're going to determine that. I think they you keep Jay Ahab. You've you got to make him, you know, he proved that he's worth keeping, and, and Zach Britton, two of the guys that are worth keeping. Um, so if you keep Hap, you have a starter. Keep Britton, you have another reliever. You know, Lin, you'll let you walk. Robertson, I don't know. I'm kind of iffy on. You, you're not going to want to pay him. I mean, he's not. He certainly can't walk the $13 million he's getting right now. So uh, I'm iffy. Maybe get a deal for him for a couple of years for $5 million each. But if you bring happen in, at least you have three starters. Now you got to find you got, you got to find a top-of-the-line guy and a, and a back-end guy. A back-end guy could come from from from, uh, from the kid, from the farm system.
0: Yeah, I think Jordan Montgomery could also fill that back-end role coming off the Tommy John, but I think the top-end guy is going to be harder. Do you think they go after a guy like Patrick Corbin or Dallas Keuchel in free agency, or do you think they could try and pull a trade to land a guy like Scherzer or Bumgarner with using that farm system?
2: Well, you know, if you have a chance to get Scherzer, and right now you're going to the third year with this team of players for a third and fourth year. You're going to start to run out of time. So if you have a chance to get Scherzer, you get him. I, I think, I think you have to do it. Unless these next guys are going to be the next Ron Guidry or, or, or the next, you know, even Severino who has been, you know, outstanding. I, I, I think you got to make the move for Scherzer.
0: Yeah. Scherzer would be a perfect fit for the Yankees. Cause he's a big game pitcher in that, in that stadium would be a big deal. And, but, I don't know if Washington will part with him right now. I think they still have designs on trying to win.
2: Well, it depends, you know, what what you're looking to offer and they are going to have to decide, you know, well, you know, do, are they are they going to, you know, definitely part ways with with uh with um Harper too as well. So, if that's, you know, done deal, you know, they'll have money to work with. So, uh, and, and if, you know, if, if Harper leaves, you've lost quite you've you lost quite a bit of their their offense over the last few years. And, you know, are they to win now or do they rebuild? I think when you make the playoffs for a certain number of years in a row and you don't get it done, you got to look to rebuild. And I think Washington's almost at that point.
0: I'm a Met fan. I would love to get Max Scherzer out of the division, get him out of this area. That would make me very happy.
2: Well, the Mets can't score runs anyway, so I don't think just Scherzer leaving is going to help them at all. The Mets got a whole other a, a bowl of problems.
0: Yeah, the Mets have their own set of issues. I'm going to deal with them in another podcast because they don't even have a GM yet. But that's a that's a whole other story.
2: Uh, the poor Mets fans. Yeah,
0: yeah let's <laughs> let's touch on the World Series really quick. I got a fun fact for you about this World Series.
2: This okay, is, what's that?
0: Yeah. Did you know that there's only been one World Series since 1903 that has not had one of baseball's original 16 teams?
2: I had no idea that. Really?
0: Yeah, I found that on Twitter today from MLB Cathedral. It's actually a great stat. The only oh, world, okay. the only World Series to not have two teams, one of the original teams in it, was Mets Royals 2015.
2: Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Well, look at you digging up the stats.
0: Yeah, I That's found impressive. that jumped at me this morning. I was like, that looks very interesting.
2: You know, in this World Series, too, you haven't seen the Dodgers and Red Sox play each other in a World Series in the modern era. So and these two, you know, these, you know, certainly the Red Sox are a great market and the Dodgers, you know, have their following. The Dodgers aren't what the Lakers are in L.A., but you have these two historic teams, uh, you know, meeting up in the modern era. And it's something we haven't seen, Uh, It's you know, something that I haven't seen. Uh, in the years, in the, you know, I remember talking to Freddie Lynn a few weeks ago, and it would have been great if back in the '70s they had the wild card. Because could you imagine if the, if the Red Sox and Yankees of the, that era would have played in a seven game series? How incredible that would! Have, I don't think anybody would have been left alive, to be honest with you, because the, the teams hated each other so much. They would have certainly eclipsed what we saw in two thousand three, two
0: thousand four. Oh, for sure. That w- those teams hate each other's guts, that would have been a lot of fun to watch. What do you think? No,
2: they despised each other, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay, so what's your World Series prediction?
2: Well, for me, the key guy for the Dodgers is Kershaw. If he comes through, I think the Dodgers win this. And for the Red Sox, I think if Ivaldi can come through the way he did against the Yankees, it's going to be the Red Sox series. Because I, I, I expect Sale to do what he does. Uh, and, I, and I think the back end of the the rotation for the Red Sox, the way they did against the Yankees, the way they did against the Astros comes through and continues on, they'll win this World Series. But I think if if, if Kershaw doesn't come through the way he has in the past for the Dodgers, they, they can't win this World Series without him winning at least one game in this in this uh,
0: postseason. The one thing that's fascinating to me is seeing how the Do- how the uh, Red Sox handle their lineup in the American League Park. I mean, I've heard the rumors about Mookie Betts playing second base in those games. And they can get J.D. in the lineup. I think that's going to be very interesting.
2: Well, I, I mean, you know, a big change like that in a, in a World Series is – I don't know if I'm crazy about that idea. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just, it's, everything's just so magnified. It's, magnified. it's not like playing – you know, doing this change in mid-July. So it would be interesting if that comes to fruition that – you know, how that affects the team.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is not like, the, I mean, to be fair to Betts, he did play a second base in the minor leagues for like his entire time coming up, so he has a lot of background there.
2: It's not well, like, well, in front of, of 3,000 people, not, you know, uh, you know, 38,000 raucous uh, Fenway fans or maybe 10 million people watching the World Series, a little bit different.
0: Yeah, but it's also not like the Mets either, who Mets will just take a guy off the street and just say, hey, like, go play, go, <laughs> go take a third base and say, go play left field and make it work. <laughs>
2: That's true, that's true. It always goes back to the Mets, doesn't it, Mike? You can't get that out of your system.
0: No, I just, I just feel like I can run this team. I, I have a lot to say about their GM, but I'll say that for the end of the show. Mike, I know you got to run. you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Sure. Yeah,
2: sure. Just follow me uh, on Twitter at SportsRadioProf. All
0: right. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you. All right, that was Mike Demurgis talking Yankee Baseball and the World Series. Up next, Show Me the Money. Picks for week number eight coming up right after this.
1: Show me the money.
0: All right, and we're back. Show me the money, week number eight on the podcast. Joining me today, coming out of the wind tunnel, coming into the podcast with me is my good friend, Kevin Willis. Kevin, how are you today?
1: Michael, what's the story? Thank you very much for having me on. What's going, what's going on?
0: Not a lot. Thanks for being a last-minute fill-in. We had a previous scheduled guest. Something came up. You Thank you for stepping up and taking the responsibility of take, making the picks this week.
1: I got your back, Mike. Don't you worry about it.
0: Okay, Kev, before we get started, what kind of fan are you?
1: Uh, I am a Jet fan. Um, I'm a Ranger fan. A Mets fan and a Nets fan.
0: Oof, a lot of suffering.
1: Oh, yeah, there's plenty of suffering here, so I, I really like this podcast.
0: How'd you become a Jet fan?
1: Um, it was around 2004. My father took me to a Monday night game. It was Jets-Dolphins. Um, remember back then, it was Chad Pennington, so that became my first jersey that I ever got. Um, it was a Monday night game, I remember that, and I was to meet up with, uh, a lot of guys from Roy Dolan's, the bar that my father worked at, and um, it was more so hanging out with the crowd that I was with rather than the game itself, and uh, that's how I became a Jet fan. I, I remember the score was something crazy at the end, like 42-14 or something, and uh, i just been a Jet fan ever since, but um, largely, it's like, the fan experience that I that I fell in love with There's no other fan like a Jet
0: fan. Oh, Absolutely. This team this year, the three and four, at a rough loss to the Vikings. Big takeaway for me is that I think they had the right guy in Sam Darnold. What are your thoughts on him?
1: I think so too. I think he's the real deal, and I'm I'm delighted that that the Giants didn't get him. Um, I'm very happy that they got Saquon Barkley and they skipped over Sam Darnold. Um, I'm very happy that um, that you know he seems to be developing into a a, a bright young player. He has his head on right. He, he doesn't seem to have the same antics that, that came with Geno Smith and, and, and Mark Sanchez and, and, and those years, like the Rex Ryan years. But um, at the same time, you know, he's 21, and he's dealing with a sub-average cast, and he, he's playing against some, some – he's not playing against college teams anymore. You know, he's not he's, – he's playing against some real defenses. We're just going to have to see how he develops. I don't know how well he's going to develop under – Todd Bowles' system or Jeremy Bates as his OC, uh, but I mean we'll see from we'll see what what happens throughout the year. I'm I'm I have high expectations of the kid, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know hold him to anything just just yet.
0: Yeah, real quick, they're playing the Bears this week in Chicago. Any any prediction?
1: Do you know what, Mike? I, it's such a weird game to me. I watched Mitchell Trubisky play against the Patriots last week, and he's a. He, I think he's going to develop into something good. I don't think he's going to be something spectacular that a lot of people are making him out to be, but, um, the bears are playing better than what I was anticipating. I thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. And they, you know, I guess it's probably just from years of watching them being just an absolute debacle under Jay Cutler and, and, and those, the, you know, the mess of like Lovey Smith and those guys. But, um, I don't know. I, I, the game could go either way, Mike. I could see Sam Darnold and and the cast getting everything together. I could see Jamal Adams tightening up everything. Um, but uh, at the same at the same time, you never know what Chicago might. I mean, they nearly beat the Patriots last week, or the, I mean, excuse me, this past Sunday. So I, I, I don't know. It's a hard game to to put my finger on. I I feel like the Bears are going to win, just based off of ground and pound and and. I don't think the Jets will be able to, to, to fend them off for too long.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a very tight game this week. I don't think either of us are going to pick it for a good reason. But before we move on to the yeah. picks, I have to uh, have a little fun here. So got, I got something for you. Go ahead. Yeah, I had to have some fun after that dramatic win over you in fantasy this week.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was... And I, you, do you know what happened? I, I had gone to sleep when you had called me, because I had to be up early in the morning, and I had gone to sleep with a 75% chance of winning. And I had Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn Lynch, Jimmy Graham, and Antonio Brown all on my bench, and I managed to have put together a ragtag group of, of, of players in Jofa, and I just I couldn't believe yeah. to wake up to the text message from you the following morning saying, sorry, bro. Yeah. And
0: I was just, Ugh. Yeah, in case, in case you haven't figured it out, I was playing him in fantasy last week. Eli Manning threw a touchdown to Odell Beckham in the last five seconds of the game. It gave me the win. I had both of them, so that was that was fun. Not for Kevin, but fun for me. Anyway, let's go on to the picks. Phil Lombardo was here last week, our friend, a fellow player in the league. He went 2-1. and one. He had the New England Patriots over the Bears, minus three. Got that correct. Had the Chiefs, minus six and a half at home against Cincinnati. They blew them out. He lost on the Chargers, laying six and a half in London, thanks to Vrabel signing to go for the two. Chargers, the Challengers on the year are 13, seven and one. I went two and one last week. I had the, uh, I forget who my picks were, but I know I, I lost on the Jaguars, laying the four and a half. I won on the Saints. Plus two and a half in in Baltimore. It was the Vikings, actually. Minus three in home against the Jets. In life against the Jets. So, I am now 10-11. Kevin, since you're the guest, you can go first. Who are you going to take with your first pick?
1: Um, All right. So, I got a few games here. The three that I was supposed to pick out. And my first game is the Chiefs over the Broncos, laying 10. Um, I think the Broncos are just... They're not a good team, and... I really, really like Patrick Mahomes. I think he's—I think he is the real deal. Um, so I'm gonna lay the ten on that. No problem. I'll run with that. Yeah, that's a good—that's uh, a
0: good one. I like the—I like the uh, Chiefs the way they've been playing. they run crazy stuff, man. It's just incredible.
1: And they're also home, and it's so—and I've just been hearing how inc- incredibly difficult it can be to play in uh, Arrowhead Stadium, and the, the and, you know—the sound and and and. The fan support in the area is, is, is magnificent. I would love to be able to go see a game there one day.
0: Absol- um, absolutely. What's your next pick?
1: Next pick would be um, this. Might be a little bit controversial, but I'll take the Colts over the Raiders. I'm I'm the Colts are laying three. I really don't think the Raiders are a good team. I I really think that that the that, that they're just going to fall apart even more now as the season progresses. They just they they sent over Amari Cooper to the Cowboys for. a for a first-round pick, which I, I, I'm still, you know, I, I'm baffled by that, but they managed to, to get a first-round pick back from Amari Cooper. But then again, it is Jerry Jones in uh, Dallas. Um, it's kind of a pricey or a, a, a sketchy kind of bet, but uh, you know how I like to bet. Um, I like a little bit of danger in my life. So um, I'll dev, definitely pick the Colts laying three.
0: Yeah, that's a. I like that one. That's I like betting against Gruden. That's always a good choice.
1: Yeah. And I really like Andrew Luck, and Marlon Mack got me those 33 points against you in fantasy, so I, I feel like I have to get back somehow. Yeah, that, uh, that
0: will help. <laughs> All, right. All right, last pick, where um, are you going?
1: The last pick, I, uh, I, I always love this matchup, especially earlier on in this year, but it's a little bit different this time around. I'm going with the Steelers over the Browns, laying eight and a half. Um, Steelers are at home, and our last matchup, you know, the Browns tied with the Steelers. But that was Tyrod Taylor at the helm, and um, that was, I know, with a little bit of uncertainty from Le'Veon Bell, which I really thought affected the, the mentality of the team. But now we know that Bell's not going to be playing, and um, Broadway Baker, who, who was supposed to be in New York but, you know, ended up in Cleveland, uh, he's now the quarterback. And he's not playing too bad, but he's got, a, he's never played against the Steelers. And he's never played the Steelers in their own stadium. So I think he's going to have a rude awakening. Um, I think the Steelers are going to beat them laying eight and a half, no problem.
0: Yeah, I liked all three of those picks. I think they're very good options. I'm going to take the floor real quick. Pick Pick number one, I'm taking the Detroit Lions at home, laying three against the Seattle Seahawks. I don't like the Seahawks. I don't like them traveling to Detroit. The Trojans been a little underrated. They played very well in Miami last week. It's only a three-point line. I think they're going to win that game easily.
1: Yeah, that's a. I that's a that's a good pick. I really I really like that pick. And it, well, the they wouldn't really have to worry about it. their Lions got um Harrison today, didn't they? Or I the, was it yeah, yesterday. Yeah, they traded for
0: Snacks Harrison today, so that's going to help bolster their run even run defense even more.
1: Oh, there you
0: go. Yeah. Okay, so that's my first pick. Second pick. I'm taking a home dog. I don't know how they're a home dog. I'm taking the Panthers, laying, getting one and a half at home against the Ravens. I don't know why the Panthers are being disrespected so much. They are 4-2 and two on the year. They had a big comeback win in Philly last week. They come home. their underdogs to the Ravens who lost to New Orleans when Tucker missed the PAT. I don't know why Baltimore's favorite in this game. I'm not a big Baltimore fan. I like Carolina a lot. I think they're going to win that game. Uh, that's a
1: good I, I like that pick.
0: Yeah, that's my second pick. Pick number three, I take another dog. I'm taking a lot of points. I'm taking the Packers, getting nine in L.A. against the Rams. Simply put, I think giving Aaron Rodgers that many points is irresistible to me because you're asking him to keep the game within one score, a nine-point line. I think he can definitely do that. You
1: know, Mike, I was thinking the exact same thing earlier today, but I'm. you know what, you're – that, that's, that's a great pick, to be honest, because I, I can't believe that they gave them that many points, to be honest. And that, that is dangerous to lead for Aaron Rodgers, and the man's
0: a machine. Yeah, okay, so to recap the picks, Kevin took the uh, Kansas City Chiefs laying 10 at home against the Denver Broncos. He took the Pittsburgh Steelers laying 8.5 at home against the Cleveland Browns. The Colts, minus three in the black hole against John Gruden's Raiders. I have gone with the Packers getting nine points in L.A., the Panthers getting a point and a half at home against against Baltimore, and the Detroit Lions minus three at home against Seattle. I think these are all great picks. Knowing our luck, we'll go 0-6. But <laughs> well, you know what?
1: I'm pretty lucky lately, so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed there, Mike.
0: Yeah, let's do the same. Kev, thanks for coming on. A- any social media plugs you want to make?
1: Um, well, you know, you know, I'm a big astrophotographer at the moment, so you can follow me on Castro Photo on Instagram. I also have my own website at www.castrophoto.com. That's K-Astro, A-S-T-R-O, photo.com.
0: All right, Kev, thanks for the time.
1: Thanks, Mike, appreciate it.
0: All right, that was Kevin Willis on your Week 8 picks and Show Me the Money. Up next, the two-minute drill. We're going to go into the terrible Mets GM search right after this. Welcome back to this week's two-minute drill. Now, the New York Mets are still looking for a general manager. Reminder, Sandy Olerson stepped down in June due to his health. It is now October. The Mets have known for over four months that they need a new general manager and they clearly have no idea how to fill this job. and It is terrifying to see them try and fumble their way through this process. So far, the list of candidates that they have brought in for this job has been all over the place. They've brought in a couple older executives who are former GMs looking for a second shot, Doug Melvin who helped build Milwaukee up, not a terrible candidate, Dave Littlefield who was GM for one of the worst stints in Pittsburgh Pirate history between 2001 and 2007 that team won 72 games or less in 6 of 7 years and the 7th year they won 75 no idea why he made the list but that's a scary thought they brought in Kim Ng who's looking to the first female general manager, she has a lot of experience but never been a GM before the guy they brought in from Tampa Bay, Heim Bloom he is the only analytics candidate known at this point and there's just a wide range of candidates and that just screams to me, the Mets have no idea what they're looking for. Literally none. We've heard about this rift before, how Fred Wilpon wants an older, savvier guy who has a background in player development and scouting, and we've heard that Jeff Wilpon is more open to analytics, which is the way the game is going these days. Instead of having a wide list of quality candidates, the Mets just sort of are throwing darts at the board, hoping they can get people interviewed, because a lot of the more qualified people want nothing to do with them. Mike Chernoff. GM of the Indians his dad runs WFAN he grew up in New Jersey he built the Indians coming to the Mets in a New York market with a bigger payroll should be a big incentive he said no Dad Levine from the Twins their GM opted to stay in Minnesota rather than go to New York Ben Sherrington up in Toronto's front office now with the GM when the Red Sox won the World Series in 2013 he turned the Mets down why are so many quality people Turning down a chance to take over a roster that has four dynamic young starting pitchers all under club control for at least a year, most of them two or more, a solid nucleus. I'll be one to the still needs work. You have Michael Conforto, Brandon Nemo, Ahmed Rosario as, as uh, intriguing young guys and some prospects on the way, and the ability to inherit a $150 million payroll. Why is this job unappealing? One word. Ownership. It is not a secret that working for the Willpons is a train wreck. The Willpons are as micromanagers who like to get their hands in every pot and simply put, they never take accountability for anything. They rarely talk to the media. Fred hasn't seen the press since 2015 when the Mets were in the World Series. Jeff poked his head out a few times this year and the appearances he made didn't do much to help their image. Particularly talking about the end of the season, when he came out on the last day of the year on NFL Sunday, when the, in the pregame was at like about two thirty, because the mess didn't start till three, like every other team in the league, he comes out, throws Sandy under the bus, saying it was Sandy's fault they didn't spend, it was Sandy's fault that they had no analytics, and it was Sandy's fault the roster is a disaster. Jeff Wilpon kicked his former GM, who was a respected Marine, who is battling cancer who took the Mets from a dumpster fire that was left behind the Madoff scandal and got them to a pennant. He took that guy who was well-respected throughout the sport and kicked him under the bus. What intelligent, young executive with options would look at this and say, you know what, I want to work for that guy. That guy knows what he's doing. None of them would, which is why we are where we are with the Mets. The amount of no's that the Wilpons have gotten should raise red flags. It should make them wonder, gee, why do all these people not want to talk to us? Maybe we're the problem, but they don't realize that. They think their method works, and they are trying to put their stamp on the baseball team even though they have no business doing so. They should be signing the checks, letting the GM do what they want, hire who they want, and that's another problem, the fact that the Wilpons have basically come out and said, that they want this new GM to inherit all three of the former all former Sandy assistants, Omar Minaya, John Ricco, who is interviewing people in this process. Even though he's not a candidate for this job, he's interviewing the candidates who might be working above him. How dysfunctional is that? And J.P. Ricciardi. Terry Collins still has a job here. He has Fred Wilpons here. He might be in charge of player development, which is not a bad role, but there are way too many voices in that room. And this new person is not going to get to bring in anybody they really want. They're going to get stuck with a bunch of people that are already here. Until the Wilpons realize that they are involved, the Mets are going to be the equivalent of how the Cowboys run things in the NFL. For those who are not aware, Jerry Jones is the Cowboys general manager. Jerry Jones, the owner, is the team's general manager. And yes, the Cowboys do have 3 Super bowls under Jerry Jones, but two of those... Came with Jimmy Johnson picking the players. Jimmy and Jerry got in a big fight. Jer- Jimmy resigned. Jimmy's core won the Super Bowl with Barry Switzer, but since he left, and since all those players went out, the Cowboys have won exactly two playoff games in the last tw- like 15 years. Two. whose tracker? Does that sound a- an awful lot like? That's right, the Mets. Since the Wilpons took over as the sole owners of this team and then booted Double Day in 2002. This team has had six winning seasons in 18 years. They have made the playoffs only three times in that stretch. They made one World Series, had a couple of brutal collapses, and they constantly are just cycling between dysfunction, and they cannot sustain a winning product on the field. That falls at the owner's doorstep. They have changed general manager several times. They've changed managers several times. The core of the roster has changed a lot. But what is the constant? Fred and Jeff Wilpon. Until they realize that they are the problem, they need to step away and let these people do their jobs without interference. The Mets are going to go through these cycles over and over again, and they're going to be sitting there wondering, gee, why can't we get it right? You know why you can't get it right. You just don't want to admit it. And that's going to do it for today's show. I want them, I guess, Mike Demergis and Kevin Lewis for coming on to talk Yankee baseball and make NFL picks and show me the money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at how the Mets should rebuild their team this offseason, go to our blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, simply by searching for Just End the Suffering in the podcast store. Be sure to leave your feedback and star ratings in order to help make this show even better going forward. Make sure you're locked in next week. We're going to do a Jets mid-season review. I'm putting together a roundtable of Jets people to talk about the Jets. We're going to have more picks, all that good stuff, and more coming up next week. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Ravens fans.